hang on, everybody who's not driving a car while they're listening to this, please try and do this. We're all going to do this experiment together, yeah. okay? Okay. My name is Sonia Simone from copyblogger.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome to the first part of a two-part series with Lisa Myers, the founder and CEO of Verve Search. We previously featured Lisa Myers on the Productive Insights podcast in episode 57, where we started off talking about SEO and creative content, but the conversation very quickly turned towards mindset and the importance of mindset. There was so much value in that conversation that I invited Lisa to come back and talk specifically about mindset. So in this first part of this two-part series, we talk about what the term mindset means and how it applies to an entrepreneur. We talk about Lisa's journey as an entrepreneur and how mindset played its role in her life and her business. We talk about how to use quote-unquote disadvantages and turn them into advantages when it comes to mindset issues, the role of language and how it affects your mindset, and mindset as it relates to teams and managing teams. We specifically talk about storming, forming, norming, and performing, which are the four elements of group dynamics. So there's a lot of valuable content in here. I hope you enjoy it. Be sure to leave your comments in the comment section. As always, we'll include related links within the show notes. And before we kick into this value-packed episode, I'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns your listeners into high-value recurring customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started. Now, onto the episode with Lisa Myers. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining the Productive Insights podcast. Today's guest is an expert in SEO and content marketing and is a very successful entrepreneur. She has built Verve Search from zero to a multi-million dollar business and is an internationally respected search marketing expert. But we are here to talk about something probably more important, if not as important, and that is mindset. What did it take for our guest today to go from zero to a multi-million dollar business that employs 27 staff members? Besides the fact that she's won a number of prestigious awards, the Search Personality of the Year in the UK Search Awards, Best SEO Campaign, all of these things have been possible because of the one thing that underpins her business and her success, and that is mindset. So I'm delighted to welcome Lisa Myers, the CEO and founder of VerveSearch.com, to talk to us about mindset. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ash. Great to have you on the show. So Lisa, we spoke about mindset a little bit towards the end of our previous conversation in episode 57, and we ended with a Star Wars quote, which I really liked. And we did this little experiment as well, I remember. So let's pick up from where we left off there. So the Star Wars quote you quoted was what Yoda says, and that is... Do or do not, there is no try. So let's talk about mindset and how you have used it 
to build a highly successful business. Let's start by talking about why mindset is so important to our listeners or to any business owner for that matter and what we mean by the term mindset. Okay, so um, I think it can mean slightly different things to different people. But to me, mindset is basically how you think. Uh, mm-hmm. The way you think and how you set yourself goals, but also what drives you. Mm-hmm. And the mindset that you have very much affects how you do in life, not just with business, but generally mm-hmm. in life. It is kind of the underpinned vision of your thoughts, if you like. Mm. Okay, so one of the biggest things I've noticed, entrepreneurs typically suffer from imposter syndrome or this feeling that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not good enough or this notion that, geez, you know, if I know it, the whole world must know it. And we all make this mistake. Is that something you would typically say is a mindset issue? Yes, I think it's a very natural issue. And and I've had it throughout the years as well. I think if I can kind of share a little bit of personal story. Yeah, please. For me, I kind of grew up in Norway and I I came to the UK when I was 20. I didn't have a particularly easy upbringing. So my my mother was an alcoholic and still is. And I had a lot of um, kind of difficulties uh, learning as well. So I have dyslexia and really struggled kind of focusing my attention a lot as a child and throughout school. But the main thing that I really have learned, especially once I got to my 30s, was that the thing that we fear the most, the thing that kind of holds us back isn't who we are it's who we think we are okay or or who we try to be as in i really believe that if we as people try to be more of who we really are rather than less of who we are we become more successful and that's kind of like a little bit about mindset but it's also a lot about finding the thing that you are good at and trusting that the person you really are it's better to be that person than trying to be some other person or behaving in a way that you think is more appropriate. Like I'm a woman in business. I'm not only a woman in business, but I'm a woman in a tech business. Mm-hmm. And I have a bit of an accent. I am quite short and I have blonde hair. There's a lot of things that kind of go against me in terms of what people think I'm like and how I think and how I talk that gives predeceived thoughts about how clever I am or mm-hmm. how able I am. The point of this is that it is completely irrelevant. What is relevant is what you think you can do, what you know you are able to do. And Mm. mindset, when you get to the point where it doesn't matter if 100 people in a room tells you that you can't do something, is when you know you can, there is nothing that stops you. I think what you're trying to say is that we are, to some degree, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. So... If we tell ourselves a story about our lives, you know, and how we got here and who we are, if we define ourselves as a victim in that story, then we are likely to continue seeing ourselves as a victim. If, or, you know, you, it might even be something to do with, say, say mathematics, you know, I'm, I'm no good at maths, or math, as they say in the yeah. US. If you believe you're no good at math, then you're likely not to do well in your exams or your mathematics because you're not going to try because you already have this preconceived notion and then you won't do well and then you'll just reinforce your underlying beliefs and it just becomes a case of confirmation bias. So I think what you're saying is it's about being able to make a choice in any given present moment. Making a choice for the rest of your life is very scary and intimidating, but making a choice in each moment and saying, 
okay, I am going to make a decision to not see myself as being no good at maths for this next minute and, you know, try and view the world from that lens for a, for a minute and see how, how it fits. Yes, kind of. I do think that that definitely changes how well you do. If you haven't got those preconceptions of how things not being possible, it's much easier to achieve. But it's also kind of surprising yourself. Of, like, in fact, I wasn't very good at maths at school, but I'm very good at running a business. Mm-hmm. There's always more than one dimension of something. So I think this is a really important thing for me. And, and I why I speak at a lot of schools in the UK, especially secondary schools, when the real doubts start coming in to your mind, which really affect mindset for life, mm. I believe, is to get pupils to understand that it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad in math or technology or English or French, etc. It doesn't mean that you will continuously be bad at math or that you won't be able to do uh, math related things in your life. Hmm. Like we can't have all these things define us. Hmm. That's such an important word, define. We can't have these things yeah. define us. So then how does one go about saying, okay, I have defined myself, and maybe I'm answering my question with my question itself. (laughs) My question was going to be, how does one go about saying, okay, well, that's how I defined myself in the past, but that's how it was until this point. I can now make a choice to define myself differently. Now, that's that's a great starting point, but is that enough? It is. Like Mindset and change of mindset is literally about how you think. It's an amazing quote by Wayne Dyer. Yes. Where he's like, if you change the way you look at something, what you look at changes. So you can actually change how something feels and how something is experienced by yourself by changing the way you think about it. And that is a choice. Hmm. He wrote this book called You'll See It When You Believe It. And I remember reading that book and being very influenced by it. In fact, the first thing that I was talking about, making choices in each present moment, was based on a book called Your Erroneous Zones. Your Erroneous Zones was a very powerful book in my life and actually was pivotal for me because he talked about choice in each present moment. And the other one that actually made a big impact on me was a book called Psycho-Cybernetics. And these are great books to talk about in terms of mindset a book that had a great impact on me was a book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath, oh, um, yeah. which talks about the advantages of disadvantages. Oh, okay. And I really do believe that there is such a thing. So for me, I have decided to change my mindset about my dyslexia and my upbringing because it's not just that I think it is, I really believe it is. It has become an advantage for me because of the background I have. I am able to read and connect with people really quickly. I'm able to deal with people in much heightened way because of my mother being an alcoholic. Right. And because I'm a dyslexic, I am actually a really good speaker because I won't read it. If I start reading it, I get completely <laughs> caught off track. Yeah. You know, when I was in university, a lot of my studying was done through conversations because I just did not enjoy reading textbooks. So I yeah. would go and talk to people and just try and glean the content through conversations. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time and why I was doing it. But then I realized afterwards that I just was somebody who had a lot of attention deficit issues and I just didn't have the ability to sustain myself to 
sit down and goes through all that work. And, you know, when you do an MBA and your CPA, there's a whole lot of reading you have to do for it. And it's often mind-numbingly boring (laughs) because, you know, I just have a need for variety in stimulus. You have the advantage of the disadvantage where because your brain didn't cope with the reading, it became better at something else. Mm. And this is my point. You became a lot better at conversing, which has taken you down this path. This is why you're doing these things. Right. You can read things in people's voices and understand a lot more because you have developed your brain more because it was weaker on other points. And that is the point. Once we realize what our advantages are, what is our kind of superpower, if you will, mm. um, we just need to channel that and we need to be more of who we are. You need to be more of the ADD guy, not less of that. <laughs> That's such an interesting perspective. I never thought about it that way, Lisa. I, I see what you mean and I agree. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Instead of feeling painted in a corner by a label, embrace yeah. it and ask yourself, well, what's the benefit I can get out of this? Exactly. I remember I had gone to see a doctor at one stage. He's now become a friend. And mm-hmm. he asked me, you know, do you have any conditions and stuff? Well, I said, well, you know, I've just recently been diagnosed with ADD and, you know, OCD traits, but I think those are just labels. And I, I, I just told him at the time I was working as an analyst in a bank. And he said, oh, perfect qualities for an analyst. And, <laughs> and I laughed and I thought to myself, that is so true because to be a good analyst, you do need to be a little bit obsessive and a little bit, I I don't know about the ADD part, but you need to be a little bit obsessive about numbers and trends and, you know, really need to get into that data and really understand the intricacies of it and and not let it go, be like a dog with a bone. And that is one of the benefits of having those sorts of traits. Uh, Absolutely. And that is exactly the point. And everyone will have their own little superpower that they have their brain has created new paths of learning or for doing or for understanding that makes that way advantage for them. The thing is that we kind of prevent ourselves from finding that because we all try to be like everyone else Mm. and we'll build businesses based on being like everyone else. Mm. Um, In fact, that I think is one of the biggest problems with any businesses is that they have such fear of trusting their own instincts and doing what they think is right, that it's all like kind of strangled by a committee of making sure that we look exactly like another business. Who gives a flying toot what anyone else is doing? <laughs> I know what you almost said there, Lisa, and I'm glad you didn't because this is a G-rated <laughs> That's good. My editor's not going to have to put any beeps in. <laughs> but I heard what you were trying to say, and I totally agree with you. So, yeah. I, you know, I just remember an interview with Steve Jobs, and he actually says exactly the same thing, but in slightly different words. He says, you know, we grew up in the society where they say to us, you know, don't bump into the walls too much. Don't upset yeah. things too much. Just keep going straight through and try and make as little of a ruckus as you can. But the yeah. truth is the real inventors or disruptors are the ones who just threw themselves at the walls and continue to do so they are the ones i suppose the crazy ones as he said yeah. you know they're the ones that change the world in fact i have a really a great example about exactly this um, it's a book called the originals by a guy called adam grant which is a brilliant book talking about what makes someone original what makes someone really creative and, and be able to change something mm. and one of the really weird things that he found studying because he he's kind of like a part kind of psychologist behavioral therapist kind of uh, he's a professor right i think i've read i've heard yeah, of another book he, he wrote yeah 
yeah, it, it's it's a really great book. Um, although I disagree with half of it, but that's when you know it's a good <laughs> book. Um, and um, one of the in one of the chapters said that the people that really become great and can really change are not the people that were the best in their class or something. In fact, it's more likely to be those kids that asked loads of questions that rebelled, mm. not the ones that were so rebellious that they broke the law or, but the ones that were brave enough to rebel against the teachers going like, I don't agree with this. Mm. I don't think that is right. The ones that didn't accept the default, that mm. is the core of the creativity of entrepreneurship is the ones that says, hang on, this doesn't seem good enough. I'm going to change it. I'm going to try something different. And one of the things that he found um, in this book, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be able to quote it exactly right, but I used this actually in my own interview process. Mm. There was a big research about how for a big customer services business in the US, and he wanted to try to figure out whether there was any sign in the 30,000 something employees that will tell them whether employees are gonna, more likely to stay in a job or mm. be promoted within a job. And they looked at loads of logical stuff like, did they have a degree? Did they have like good grades? Did they, were they not ill a lot? Or, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But they didn't find any data that correlated with that. The one thing that they found that did give them a correlation or that did have impact was a very ridiculous question that they'd asked all of these people. And the question was, what browser do you use? Okay. And the ones that use the default browser that comes on a computer, like Safari or Internet Explorer, oh, yes. were less likely to stay in the job. The ones that used downloaded something specifically like Chrome mm. or Firefox because they thought that was better mm. were something like, I wonder if it was like 15 or 20% more likely to stay in a job and wow. do well, which is quite a high percentage for something so little. Because if you don't accept the default but you find something is better that says something about you as a person that says something about if that is important to you just with your browser hmm. what else are you doing right i see exactly what you mean it, it points to a certain kind of thinking it points to a certain kind of critical thinking yes i think what has really helped me throughout my career but particularly since i started my own business was uh, actually something, I think it was at a, a meditation course or something, mm -hmm. that this lady was talking about your mind being like an iceberg and the top of the iceberg being your conscious self yes. and the, the really important, the big bit is your subconscious. Mm. And uh, there's something Malcolm Gladwell said in Blink, which is also a great book, that mm -hmm. is talking about how important it is to connect with your subconscious and how often you know something and you believe something, but you can't really describe it. That's because your subconscious, which is the bigger part of you as a person, and you know and you understand more than you realize. Hmm. And when to the point where, where you trust yourself more than you trust other people's opinion, you make decisions that are more likely to be right for you and those around you. Hmm. Because if you think, if I have an iceberg, and you know, the, the one thing that we definitely know about icebergs is that you don't know what it looks like underneath by hmm. just seeing the top. Yeah. And my iceberg is likely to be be very different to your iceberg gotcha. so technically asking for uh, advice even even to you although we have similar stories for example it makes literally very little sense to ask someone else for advice when they are the results of their experiences and their iceberg has been built of that so mm. the 
the biggest thing in business and in life is to get to the certainty where you trust yourself and your judgment and your decisions more than you trust anyone else, no matter how many accolades they have. Hmm. Because the only thing that you know for sure is how you feel about it and how this, whether this feels right or wrong. We are a lot more intelligent and capable than we can really imagine at this stage. And I say at this stage because I'm hoping in the future we'll be able to <laughs> get there faster. <laughs> well, I remember doing this case study where they interviewed managers on whether they manage by gut feel or they manage based on rational logic. And at the end of it, what they discovered was the whole series of experiences they had through their lives as managers manifested as a feeling which you know came from the subconscious so it was actually rational data for want of a better term it was a culmination of experience over 15 years that gave them this feeling of okay this is a good decision or a gut feeling that this is not a good decision my point being that when you have a gut feeling don't just dismiss it as just a feeling if you have a lot of experience in the area, that's right. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying this to the listeners because I need to do a lot more work on trusting my gut more. If you have a feeling that this feels right and this sounds right, this looks right, it's probably not just this nebulous feeling. It's probably founded in factual experience that you've had over years. Mm. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that's the limbic part of our brain where we actually make decisions and mm. where we actually make any kind of decision. We don't, don't actually have the capacity for language in that part of the brain. And mm. our being completely requires us to listen to that part. Mm. And I think in business more than anything, and I know there are loads of people that disagree with me on, <laughs> on this, but you know what? I have for seven years built this on my own without any funding, any help, anything at all to a multi-million business. And so it, it was right for me. It might not be right for everyone, but it mm. was certainly right. We're not saying ignore the data. We're saying look at the data, look at the facts. Just don't ignore your feelings and your gut. So if you're listening to this as a business owner, we're not telling you to ignore facts. We're telling you that your feelings, your gut sensation, your gut feelings, provided, of course, you've had some experience in the area, obviously don't listen to your gut if you don't know anything about it. But if you've worked yeah. in an industry for, say, five or 10 years, then if you're feeling like something is good, then at least explore it and at yeah. least say, well, you know, well, why shouldn't I do this? And trust your gut a bit more, go with it, or maybe try it for a week or a month, but some kind of a small amount of time before dismissing it as just a feeling in fact my um, my dad uh, said to me when I was a teenager um, and I used to think he was completely bonkers for saying this but he said like if you have a decision that is one way or the other and you come to the stage where you cannot decide flip a coin mm. and I was like what are you insane I can't flip a coin yeah and he said, it's not about flipping the coin that's the point it's how you feel about yes where or lands when it lands. That is basically a technique to uh, connect with your gut feeling because we learn from a young age not to listen to any of the gut feelings. We yes. get told how to think, how to. As children, we are creative, we are instinctive, we listen to our gut feelings. But mm. as we grow, we get told not to do that, not to do this, do this, and therefore we lose our ability to be able to do things 
that we were able to do before, mm. uh, which is a shame. And that to me is it's kind of like the premise of how I built this business. It is very much about helping people understand what their superpower, what their advantage is, what mm-hmm. is the thing that makes them amazing that and helping them be more of that and then build the mindset as as a team and then listen to our, our gut. And then I think the biggest thing, and I think for any business should be getting your employees to accept or to be not comfortable, but be be okay with accept confrontation. Because the thing mm-hmm. that holds a business back the most is loads of employees just trying to feel good and making other feel good when they totally disagree or they want something to happen. Right. You pay people to do a job um, that you think they're good at. But if we create a environment where it's not okay to disagree, to confront and to resolve, you are holding people back. And mm. that, that is probably one of the, the biggest reasons why in the last two years we have grown really, really aggressively and we have done extremely well in terms of awards and stuff is because we face a head-on every time something is really difficult. Mm-hmm. We literally, we lean in into it we don't disappear and pretend like everything is okay and make a cup of tea and say we want to feel good so creative abrasion you first form a group and then you go through the storming phase where there's a lot of constructive disagreement not just disagreement for the sake of it obviously all of which is driving towards some kind of resolution and then the group starts to form its norms which is the norming phase and they say okay well here are the boundaries of the group this is what we're going to agree to disagree on or these are the parameters within which we will continue to debate and then they finally get to the performing stage which is when they're performing with that diversity and the creative abrasion is actually leading to you know, breakthroughs and innovative ways of thinking and solutions. Yeah, I, I think that's very much true. But I think it's also really interesting that that was something learned. So I didn't, I didn't uh, go to university, and mm-hmm. so this is something that was learned. You learned at the MBA, but this is something that kind of instinctively do because I believe in being able to resolve something. And so the reason that those theories become is because it's based on on kind of Yes. Not stuck for human behavior. Yes. Right. The great thing about from a mindset point of view and, and learning to be okay with those kind of as maybe more so relevant and interesting in my company where we are, mm-hmm. I think maybe, I think it's 12 or 15, I've literally lost count, different nationalities. So there's wow. from all over the world and there are like huge kind of cultural differences with like, mm-hmm. um, especially for like Scandinavian country um, people and Middle Eastern as well as mm-hmm. like you know, Argentinian, like there's mm-hmm. such a hot pot of people, which means that that, and I think there's something genius that lies in that cultural difference and that different way of thinking and thinking just by talking, the, the language is different. Mm. And that means that we all think slightly differently. And then leaning into that, that it's okay to disagree and that we hmm. obviously with respectful and being honest and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it, that really, I think, is how the real creativity and the ideas uh, comes out uh, for that different right. perspective of that. That's kind of like our collective superpower is our uh, huge differences. 
Okay, so this is very interesting. And I think now we're getting into the real how and, you know, how it can be relevant to our listeners and how they can implement it in their businesses. Would you agree that to have this creative abrasion, you do need to have some boundaries that you set within the business and you say, okay, you know, we can disagree and that's fine, but the disagreement has to happen in a constructive manner, not for the sake of disagreement, as one example of a boundary, I guess. Another one might be, you know, be respectful and no name calling, for example, so it just doesn't end up being this childish, you know, you're an idiot kind of stuff. But it's more about constructive things like, okay, if you disagree with something, then tell me what you think is a better alternative. Otherwise, there's no point just disagreeing with it for the sake of it. To me, that's a big thing. If my my staff members or my team say this can't be done i'm like okay so what can be done what's the alternative yes i do think that that's true so remember i I talked a lot about instinct and about uh, not being able to put your words into things what i think is Mm. really important is that if you expect everyone to be able to explain why they think something you are missing Mm. on their instinct so ah okay what i do a lot is that uh, i need myself and the managers to be really good people, judges of character and knowing when Mm -hmm. something means something to someone, if they really fighting for it, you have to let them do it, even if you think it's wrong, because that's where you really get uh, challenging people. That's where you also get loyalty and trust when you like, for example, a recent campaign that one of our guys, uh, Matt, who is amazing, has been with us for for ages and he went traveling Mm -hmm. for a while and then he even came back to Verve. Because he's not the typical what you would think as a creative person. He's quite shy, in fact, extremely shy and and careful in how he talks. But he is extremely Mm -hmm. passionate. And judging, thinking Mm -hmm. that creative people are the outgoing, talkative people is frankly stupid. And you're Mm. really missing the point if you're not able to really pay attention to where creativity comes from. And he had this idea a couple of months ago. And he came to me and I said, Actually, he went to the production manager first and he said, mm. I, I, I really want to create this campaign, which is based, based on creating travel posters with kind of illustrated images of extinct animals. So the dodo in Mauritius or the moa in, I can't remember the, the country. And it was very simple. It was very simple, but he was very adamant. He wanted to choose a specific illustrator. So not doing it within the, the designers that work in it. Mm-hmm. And the production manager was like, no, I don't think so. We don't have any extra budgets, so no. But he was so really into this idea. So he completely hmm. like, <laughs> and I don't really um, say that everyone should do this, but he bypassed her <laughs> straight to me. <laughs> and I said, Lisa, I really want to do this. I really believe this could do great. And I saw it in his eyes. And he doesn't shout. He's a calm, very, hmm. he doesn't say, we really need to do this. Oh, you have to do this and bang on the table. Yeah. He speaks very yeah. quietly, but when he speaks, it's like anyone else shouting. Yes. Okay. So you have to learn to understand people enough to know that if this person speaks, he's shouting. And if he right. speaks up, you need to listen. And so I okay. say, okay, Matt, okay, you can have this much money. Uh, go and do your extinct animal travel posters thing. Mm-hmm. This campaign has been one of the most successful campaigns of this year. Wow. It's been in every kind of big international site like Mashable and Huffington Post and all of that. Wow. It got printed in the Sunday newspaper, The Observer, which is, I think, is the most decent Sunday newspaper in the UK. Uh-huh. It got actually printed. Wow. This is a EO campaign that, that makes it to the Sunday newspaper. In fact, this is how big it got. 
the game The Sims, uh, there was some uh, Sims fan that, that liked these posters so much, they made a mod so that people can have the posters in The Sims game. That's insane. Wow. And then people started calling our office wanting to buy the posters. <laughs> it's just... Okay, I'm dying of curiosity. So what was it this what was this thing that the the manager that he initially approached mm-hmm. didn't think was a good idea and what was it that he thought was a good idea and then you kind of, you know, bet it on? To be to be honest, like I didn't think it was a good idea. Right. Like I I thought it was but it's it's irrelevant. Yeah. He believes in it and if he thought he will make it work and he saw something that I didn't see. I didn't hire him to think and act exactly like me exactly yeah yeah that, I, I want someone that and and if you ha, if he has that kind of gut instinct that this will work we need to listen and we need to give that kind of autonomy in fact the last thing that happened with this campaign which i don't think that has never happened before and i question what will happen again mm. although maybe it will with him <laughs> is we discovered that there was a, a petition started online to get signatures to a letter to the uh, managing director of Expedia, which is what uh, which client this campaign was for, to thank him for commissioning this campaign. When did you last hear about a petition thanking a company for commissioning a marketing campaign? Right. Uh, Absolutely. And that entirely, entirely due to his vision and his belief and teaching people and knowing myself that if, if someone really believes it, the best thing you could do is let them do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the other message that you're saying here is, as a manager, if someone is stepping up and behaving like an owner in the business, it's important to treat them like an owner of the business and give them the opportunity to possibly fail and back them. Yes, and, and I think there will be other things as well. Like, for example, if someone else had come to me with kind of a similar idea t- today, for example, and this person was someone that had loads of idea all the time, it might have been different. I think it's also about like how willing they are to go out of their way to make this happen and kind of allowing that as well, because there's something, and that's totally with mindset. He was adamant. Mm. His mind was set. This is mindset. His mind was set that that was going to work because he really believed it would. Mm. And it did. Now, this comes back to something that has been kind of, niggling at me since you've mentioned earlier in this conversation and that is your point about language and that Mm. the way we make decisions and mindset doesn't necessarily sit where the language center is in our brain and what occurred to me then this is a good opportunity to bring it up is that language is a relatively recent creation or invention in human evolution i think Don't quote me on this, but I don't think we've been speaking to each other for a very long time, you know, in terms of the history of humanity. So language is a relatively recent invention, but we are actually a lot more animal-like than we would like to admit. And, you know, particularly after the Industrial Revolution, we've become all cerebral about things and we think, you know, it's all about rationality and we genuflect to the rational mind. But the truth is that these feelings and these deeper instincts where mindset lives are actually quite intelligent and they're quite well-informed. In fact, 
Buddha, who I see as a philosopher as much as anything else, I'm not speaking of him necessarily as a religious leader. I'm, I'm not really you know, very religious at all, really. He was quite a wise guy, I think. And he said that the body has probably as much, if not more, wisdom than the mind. Yes, true. Very, very true. And um, in fact, I have a, a um, exercise that kind of proves that the the mind and the body connection and how much uh, we are able to impact even when it isn't kind of conscious mm -hmm. like um, so if you put your hands together yeah. and you just have your index fingers put them so it's like you're praying but just yep. put the index finger up yep. and then hold them about an inch apart okay. and if you hold them an inch apart and then you say out loud fingers coming together Fingers coming Hang on, everybody who's not driving a car while they're listening to this, please try and do this. We're all going to do this experiment together, okay? Yeah. Okay, okay. so we're going to say so, fingers yeah. coming together, fingers coming together, fingers coming together. Man, it's happening. I'm trying to keep my fingers apart. It's not listening yeah, to yeah, me. Exactly. Fingers coming together. Fingers oh, together. Yeah, there's a contradiction here because I'm trying to physically keep my fingers apart, but my fingers are going together because my mind is telling me to do it. Now, let me just point out this. If your body literally takes everything you say, literally, imagine what it does to your thoughts, your subconscious. Yeah. This is why mindset is so important. Your body, your mind listens to what you are thinking. What you are thinking and what you are saying impacts you. It impacts your life. You need to think differently if you're going to be successful. Okay. And how does anyone who's listening how exactly do they go about doing this how do you suggest they do it how did you do it for yourself thanks for listening to part one of this two-part series with lisa myers on mindset i hope you got a lot of value out of this episode which was brought to you by the productive insights done for you podcast launch service which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high value recurring customers Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started and head over to the show notes to find all the related links. Now, in part two of this two-part series, we'll talk about how to implement the various principles that we've discussed in part one. And we also talk about the key action steps you can take to get your mindset working for you and to help you build an epic business, career, and life. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 